Hello and welcome to the Foodies Reviewing Movies podcast. I'm your host, Callie, and today I have Dylan joining me in the studio. Thanks for being here, Dylan. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And uh, also thank you listeners for pressing play. If you're a frequent listener, then welcome back. And uh, if you're a first time listener, we're happy to have you tuning in. So thank you. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a cult classic from 1999. One of your more favorite movies, right, Dylan? Yes, it is. Uh, I would say my favorite movie. Uh, I watch it on St. Patrick's Day nearly every year just to keep up with tradition. Well, rightfully so. It's a good tradition to have. And this movie is none other than Boondock Saints. So we have a ton to chat about. I feel like I have the perfect co-host for this episode. So <laughs> I'm excited. Let's go ahead and jump on in with our news boosh and our apps haves. The Boondock Saints is about two twins from Ireland. And we know I found out, Dylan, that you actually had gone to Ireland not too long ago. So I thought we could chat about that a bit. About how long ago was your trip? Um, it was in 2017, actually. It was in July. So I actually spent 4th of July in Ireland, which is kind of funny because, you know, to them, it's just another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the independence thing for them doesn't mean anything on that day. So. Nope, not at all. And, and what was your favorite part of that trip? You know, I saw so many things, uh, did so many things. You know, I uh, kissed the Blarney Stone, mm -hmm. uh, went to the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin, uh, went to Galway. We went to Giant's Causeway. We were in Belfast. We did the Titanic Museum. I really don't know. It's really hard to say because it's it's also beautiful and it's it's amazing and so many beautiful sights. Like one of the highlights for me, and you know, you could chalk this up to saying this was my favorite part was you know just the drive and the scenery was beautiful. Uh, everywhere you go was just green, open land, and it was really awesome. There's some smaller unknown places, you know. Uh, like the V Gap is one place we went to, and it's this foresty area, but it's atop this big hill, and there's just sheep roaming around, you know, <laughs> out of nowhere, and you can get so close to them, and it's it's beautiful, and you can see to the horizon, it's beautiful, it's it's really breathtaking. Oh, God. Okay, I'm sold. I'm getting my ticket tomorrow. Let's do this. So you mentioned you actually went to the Guinness Storehouse, which um, that's at St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. What was that experience like? So it is a little bit of a tourist kind of thing. They have like a big store where you can go and you can get, you know, your gear and whatnot. But they also have a tour and you can learn about it and the history which is fascinating. Um, but the best part is the gravity bar uh, at the end. So at the end, they take you to the gravity bar, which is this uh, full 360 glass uh, bar. And you could see basically all of Dublin from that point. It's a very, wow. very high, uh, high point in the city. And they obviously serve Guinness. And you could see all throughout. And just it's beautiful. A lot of people there hanging out just drinking a beer and i feel like that's a place people go to hang out just like in their everyday life you know mm -hmm. not just the tourists who go there to see it i really feel like people were there on their lunch break <laughs> oh that's awesome i i would happily take one of those during my <laughs> yeah, lunch break definitely <laughs> that's really really cool so 
I didn't realize that they actually had something like that there. So if anyone's going over to Ireland, I know we have some listeners in the UK. So maybe if you haven't taken a trip over there yet, when you do, yeah, go yeah. ahead and stop by for the Gravity Bar. And so is, is Guinness typically, well, actually, before I ask this question, going back a second, was it different tasting there than you would get from a tap or a can here in the U.S.? Yes, it definitely tastes better over there, I would say, because they know how to make it. It's actually a very specific process of brewing it, or not even brewing it, but pouring it. It's uh, a certain amount of the normal like CO2, and then they do the nitrous mm -hmm. uh, in it as well. And they actually teach you, I actually have pictures of myself pouring it, um, they teach you how to make the perfect pint of Guinness and oh, awesome. it's uh it's really cool and when you do it that way and you find out that is why they do it that way it's because it tastes the best that way and so when you when you're here in America and you you know can I get a Guinness they're just going to give it to you you know sometimes no nitro in mm -hmm. there so it comes out uneven doesn't doesn't taste the same so yes it does taste better over there yeah, is it usually served warm or like a room temp over there? I, I think is what I've heard at some point. So I would say it's ch like chilled. I don't want to say okay. it's really cold, but it's not warm. I, you okay. know, I, I, I think that's a myth too. Mm -hmm. uh, and that may be more of a English thing. I don't think, not that I can remember, but I don't think the the beverages were like room temperature you know okay yeah because i'm like that doesn't sound super appealing to have like a warm yeah. beer being poured at the same time though if you think about it a lot of the 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 kegs and whatnot are kept down in the cellars and it's usually yeah. a bit colder over there so i would imagine yes. that's what keeps it chilled so yes now the question i was gonna ask was is this typically guinness your more preferred beverage or is this something that occasionally you'll drink so I would prefer it probably over, you know, a lot of others. It definitely is something that I cannot drink too much of because mm -hmm. it is it is a heavier drink for sure. So yeah. I, I can't drink a ton of it. It's usually like, you know, one or two and then I'm done and mm -hmm. and that's it. Uh, but if, you know, if I'm looking at a menu, it's something that I'm very familiar with. I'm going to go for it. Oh, definitely. And and we did actually go and, and have a pint at a local place called Horse and Jockey here in downtown Lexington, which was established back in 2020, owned by, by two Irish gents. And, uh, you know, it was really cute because there was a clover on top of like the head yeah. of the actual Guinness. So I was like, oh, that's neat. So I'll post a picture there on social media for us um, when we have it. But yeah, I mean, just it's like what what better way to celebrate this movie than with Guinness and I mean a little bit about it than just what we were talking about involving the storeroom itself so it's deemed one of the top tier dark beers in in history it's been brewing since 1759 and it's one of the top I think it's the top fourth for overall sales they sell I think it's like 10 million glasses of Guinness daily. Yeah, that sounds about right. And there's a couple of things I want to note about that too, is mm -hmm. in Ireland, that's like the only thing they have to drink. Seriously. Oh, okay. they, they don't have that many other uh, beverages. It's, it's like there's Coke 
You know what I mean? Mm, so mm. there's that. They have other drinks like ciders. Um, the two ciders that come to mind are Bulmers and Orchard Thieves. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say Bulmers is the more popular one, but Orchard Thieves to me and the people I went to Ireland with, uh, we preferred the Orchard Thieves. It tasted better. Yeah, they they go through that like like nothing. <laughs> it, it's crazy how much Guinness there is there. And like I said, every bar you go into, if you just say I want a beer, they're going mm -hmm. they're going to give you a Guinness. They're not going to give you anything else. So it's pretty much like in the south. A lot of times, you know, you'll you'll ask for um, like a soda and you'll get a Coca-Cola typically. Yes, exactly. It's just like that. So yeah. interesting. I, I didn't realize that because, I mean, I guess I'm a little more familiar with Scottish beers. I didn't realize that until I started looking into some stuff for today's episode. I was like, oh, these are all Scottish. Never mind. <laughs> so because um, one of my preferred beers is Tenants, which is from Scotland. It's mm -hmm. not widely sold over here in the u.s as much as it used to be uh rumor has it there may have been a disagreement between the owner of Anheuser bush who they went mm. through for distributor and the owner of uh tenants but they've switched hands now and they're starting to uh you know go back through and distribute again but um yeah so i was like oh that's not irish that is scottish never mind oh <laughs> and my second favorite is also scottish okay so <laughs> so guinness i guess it'll take the slot for my my top favorite as well because it's not usually a drink that I will turn to. I do like a little bit lighter of like a lager or an ale. Mm -hmm. I don't really like the heavy, just dark beers all the time because I feel like I'm drinking a milkshake. It's just super heavy on the stomach. Yeah. And uh, you said like maybe one or two you can do like one and I'm done. I'm like, nope, <laughs> there's, there's no more happening after that. And it's really, it's a little more bitter than what I usually like to go for. Um, mm -hmm. You know, because they, they say in the description, like, oh, there's notes of, like, coffee and chocolate and stuff. And I'm like, maybe cacao, but not really taste like chocolate because of how bitter it is but um i did really enjoy just going and, and having the pint that we did um i just really liked the like atmosphere that they have at horse and jockey and they like i did mention they do a uh like a full menu they do like yeah. a traditional irish breakfast and our friend kenny who's been on the podcast he had a mm -hmm. what looked like a fish and steroids but it was like yes fish and chips and then brandy had um a guinness pie yes and uh just all of it looked really good so um i'd recommend it you've been there before as well right yeah yes i think i think i had the fish and chips the other time i was there but i okay. don't remember it being as large as the fish that you <laughs> yeah, yeah, was that was <laughs> yeah, yeah it was so I'd, I'd like to try their shepherd's pie next time i go in but uh definitely check them out if you stop by central kentucky and uh you know let's go ahead we speaking of food and, and just digging into some really good stuff let's dig into this movie because this is yeah. just such a fun one so let's go ahead and jump into our cinematic entree so the Boondock Saints is about Irish twin brothers, Connor and Murphy, and they take on a sort of vigilante Blues Brothers-esque mission to cleanse their beloved city of Boston of mobsters and criminals. And uh, when we're initially introduced to them, this made me laugh so much because they're in like Catholic mass. Yes. And <laughs> they're sitting there doing their, you know, our fathers who aren't in heaven. And then they like just walk up in the middle of the mass 
and go kiss the feet of the statue of Jesus. Yep. And the one father's like, what are they doing? Oh my gosh. And everyone's just, shh, just, just, just sit down, just hush. You know, it's, it's fine. <laughs> so how was like initially with that opening, how, what kind of vibe did you get that this movie made you like? So for me, I grew up Irish Catholic, so I can relate to like that mass feel sort of. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't too surprising that it opened this way to me. The one part of that, you know, did catch me off guard was the fact that they do get up and they do make their way towards the towards the altar. And then the priest just lets them go. The, mm -hmm. the, the priest giving the sermon, he's just letting them go. And like you said, the other guy's like, no, 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 they're, they're our regulars, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so they're, we're just going to let them do that. So mm -hmm. it's not surprising. Uh, Catholicism and, you know, Irish people, they go, they go way back. So it's not mm -hmm. surprising that it opens this way for me. Yeah. And I, I grew up Lutheran, so we're pretty much Catholic light, you know? So, <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, I went to some, like uh, my cousin and her side of the family, they're, they're Catholic. So we've gone to mass a few times and I never saw anyone walk up in the middle of mass, but yeah. if these guys, they look rough around the edges. Yeah. Um, the first thing I immediately noticed was, oh my gosh, these are two good looking guys. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, they're rocking those peacoats, but you know, you can tell you just, they have tattoos. They've got those five o'clock shadows. They look like they've probably drank for days. And so, you know, we sort of get that, that probably sort of like, okay, we're letting them do what they want because well, for one, they seem like they're really cool guys, but for two, they have that rough edge to them. And, yeah. you know, the, the tattoos do play a really significant part for them. Um, do you recall what the tattoos were that were like the most prominent for each brother? Yeah. To me, it's the ones on their hands. It's mm -hmm. the, it's the cover image too like if you were to get the dvd it would be the picture of their hands holding the guns mm -hmm. and it says veritas and aquatus and that is truth and justice mm -hmm. in latin um and you know they both had it on their hands and that's just it's so iconic that tattoo like like growing up when i was a kid and how much i love that movie i would write veritas and aquatus on my on my mm -hmm. hands and fingers mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I loved it enough to where we actually named two of our dogs Murphy and Thunder. <laughs> so, I mean, this this movie, it is one of those things, we'll talk about it in a little bit, about how it was received. And this movie, like, it just has become a cult classic, and that wasn't from it being in the movie theaters. Yes. And so just, yeah, if you even if you haven't seen this movie, and you see those words or those tattoos, you're going to know where it's from. Yeah. It's, pretty obvious and now something just mentioning these brothers that i've gotta bring up is norman reedus who plays murphy his accent in this movie is all over the shop yes so it, it's really funny you mentioned that because norman reedus is not actually irish he is mm -hmm. of scottish scottish descent okay. while um the his brother in the mm -hmm. movie is played by Sean Patrick Flannery, yes. and he is actually of Irish descent. But both of these guys are American. They mm -hmm. were, you know, they're both born in America. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I did look online because I, I hadn't seen this movie in a hot minute. And so when yeah. I went to watch it, I was like, 
did he just slip out of that accent? Did I imagine the yes. accent in the beginning? Yeah. So I went and looked it up online and some people were like, oh, maybe it's because like they were born in Ireland, but then they lived in America. And I'm like, but the other guy's accent is like way more consistent. <laughs> yeah, Sean Patrick Flannery definitely delivers a better performance with the accent like throughout mm -hmm. he maintains it yes. and then even you you can tell when norman reedus is kind of like phoning it in a little bit <laughs> you know he's like i just give up i'm gonna not even do a boston accent i'm just gonna mm -hmm. speak like where i'm from <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean i love norman reedus so by no means am i like trying to rag on him but just yeah, the accent was not great. So yeah. it was not great. But we we do learn a bit about their lives fairly quickly. Uh, we see that they work in a meat factory, which was not really something I expected. And it's actually St. Patrick's Day. They have a new person who's come in to train. And Connor is explaining to her about how to measure certain things out. And he's like, oh, rule of thumb. And she's like, rule of thumb, rule of thumb. Do you know where that comes from? And she explains how in the early 1900s, men could legally beat their wives with a stick that as long as it was only the width of their thumb, then they were okay. Yep. And he makes an, an offhanded joke about it because they're just sort of, you see, like, they're just really playful jokester guys, you know? Yeah. They, they did not mean to offend her in any way, and they were trying to diffuse the situation with comedy, mm -hmm. and it obviously did not go well. <laughs> no, because she kicks them right in the groin. So, yes. <laughs> and then I found something interesting, too, because she does have this tattoo on her neck, and it's pretty much, it means untouched by man, so... Hmm. It Interesting. Just, I think that really weighs into the situation. Yeah, too. definitely. <laughs> Immediately hit the wrong nerve. But yeah, you like you start to learn these guys know a few different languages. Like they're really charismatic, and it's like of all places, why why did they end up working in a meat factory? You yeah, know? yeah. Um, they like you know just making ends meet. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just want to go out and drink and have a good time. And, and we see they're just making ends meet with that apartment because yes. that apartment is rough. Oh, yeah, it is very bad. I mean, it's it's like takeout box after takeout box, empty like glass bottles everywhere. There's like two mattresses on the ground. And I just... bet that apartment would be like still <laughs> like oh, yeah. really expensive, expensive today today <laughs> yeah. they would they would hike that price up and it would be a luxury <laughs> oh gosh yeah seriously i mean the best part if i think about that apartment is there's like three shower heads so it looks like it was like some kind of public bathroom at some point and we do later learn how the plumbing is set up yeah, we, do. <laughs> we do which happens like right after this uh so we are introduced to like their main dive their main hangout yeah. which is mcginty's bar and before we get into some of these characters that come in so when you go to a, a bar typically or go have a drink what what's usually your turn to drink besides for maybe a guest so i would usually go for a yingling um, okay it hasn't been in uh, Kentucky that long. Mm -hmm. um, it, they've only really recently brought it out, and now it's kind of getting more mainstream here, I would say. Mm -hmm. But where I'm from in New Jersey, it's a Pennsylvania staple, really, Yingling okay. is. And yeah. so it was very prevalent um, around me. Uh, so I would usually just go for that. It's always like my safe bet. Yeah, yeah, nice taste of a reminder of home in essence. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a decent choice. I also, I just, like I said, I go for lighter beers where I, I do like ciders a lot. I feel like mm -hmm. that's something where it's like, I, I just don't like the straight up taste of a lot of alcohols. It's just yeah. for me, it, rem it reminds me of getting medicine as a kid and I get the goosebumps <laughs> and the shivers. <laughs> so you'll, you'll not catch me very often drinking a straight up like bourbon unless it's been one of those days. But <laughs> You know, usually uh, something along the lines of like tenants, like I mentioned, if they have that, which they have that at Marika's here, I found out. So I was like, oh boy, I'm now <laughs> going to be going there and getting my drink. But um, you should try and do something local. Uh, I do like like the Kentucky bourbon barrel. I do like theirs. They have a few different types. Um, but yeah, usually I try and get what's on tap from the actual like place that we go to because we will go out with a few friends on like Friday yeah. nights and have drinks and try some different places and so usually I'll try and do one of their house their house beers or ciders you know yeah I, I'm definitely with you I, I do like to try different ones uh, and I do tend to stay on the darker beer side so mm -hmm. you were talking about uh, earlier how Guinness has like hints of you know, chocolate and coffee, and I will go for ones that have those hints mm -hmm. of coffee and uh, chocolate, you know, stouts, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so I will go for a darker beer anytime. Yeah, I know one that I do like, which is the Scottish one, so this isn't like, like I said, most of my ones are Scottish, uh, the Scottish Bellhaven Ale, that one's a darker one. And if you're a fan of darker beers, that's probably one that you'd like. That's one that I actually will just go grab myself because yeah. it's not super bitter, but um, just has a really interesting, like different taste to it. So um, that's a recommendation that I'd make. And if it, that's on tap or available, then I'd grab that for sure. Yeah. Um, so with these guys, I mean, they're, they're drinking it up. They're having a few drinks here at McGinty's and we meet Doc, who is our bartender tender yeah. <laughs> what was your first impression of him Dylan <laughs> so you kind of you get a little bit of some sass with him but then <laughs> when you when he starts to talk more and you find out he has uh you know an impediment you know you know or Tourette's mm -hmm. uh it, it gets a little comedic you, you know you kind of feel bad for him and yeah. but you can't help but laugh and it's a fun time and he <laughs> he likes to play around with the guys as well and he definitely makes it feel more of like a like a homely thing like a cheers like you know where mm -hmm. everyone knows your name that sort of thing Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the funniest thing of, about him is like he's mixing up common sayings together. Yes. So, yeah. so he'll be like, people who live in glass houses think mm -hmm. chips or <laughs> like a tree and get the f out of here. Yes. <laughs> and so it's just really just sort of funny because they're like, oh, my God, just stop saying these things. Because he, when there's one part with Russian guys come in, which we'll talk about them in a second. And he says that to him and they're just like, oh, my God, just stop. Just stop talking. Yeah. Just don't escalate anything. You know, you're making it worse. And then he, you know, he does have like Tourette's. And so there's this one part where after this scene with the plumbing and all of that that we're going to chat about um he goes into the hospital to see murphy and connor and he just starts with ass and fuck and he's yes. saying it in front of these nuns and it is the funniest yes. thing <laughs> yeah they uh, don't they cover the kids ears you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> and he's like yelling it and stuff because he gets angry and frustrated because he's trying to talk and you know he says things he's not meaning to 
And so it's funny because Connor's like, he's not meaning that to be said towards you. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> so there's just, it's like I said, very playful guys. You can tell they're very giving people. And I think yeah. that's why they get away with as much as they do. Mm-hmm. And they have this just really nice adopted family because besides for Doc, there's also Rocco, who we meet. Mm-hmm. And he is a character. <laughs> he is. He really probably steals the show, to be honest. Oh, he does. Yeah. And I mean, this, so this character was actually written for the actor who plays him. Makes so, sense, yeah. So the, the actual, um, you know, director, writer, he was like, yep, this is for you. And so uh, pretty much he, I think he does steal the show too. And he plays sort of like this, he's called the funny man. And yeah. so he makes jokes and he works for the Italian mobsters and um definitely like the, the one part where he's sitting there talking to uh Getsby uh Yakavada who's like the po- the papa of the group the dawn yep. and he's like I heard you're the funny man tell me a joke <laughs> yeah he he feels like the spotlight is on him and he's like oh my god like what do I where he's more of like an improv guy he you know he makes jokes mm-hmm. when he's just around his friends and we get that from the from the bar scene he's yeah. making jokes with his friends and it's more situational where when he's put on the spot he's like uh, i don't really that's not my <laughs> thing you know mm-hmm. yeah and then when he does tell the first one it was a bit a bit um racy uh yeah the least um which a lot of the things in this movie would not fly nowadays. (laughs) I I wrote that down. It it did not age well in terms of like PC, no. Yeah, no, definitely. A lot of red cards would be pulled out on this one if this was a soccer match. (laughs) But uh, like after he finishes the first joke, the guy starts laughing. He goes, tell me another one. He's like, another one? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably one of my favorite moments with him because his tone changes so fast. His face and the sense of relief he gets when his boss starts to laugh and Mm -hmm. he just starts to lose it. And he's like, oh, you you think that's funny? Like, oh, you like that? (laughs) You know, the the relief. He's like, oh, my God, I can live another day. Mm -hmm. Oh, now tell another one. Do what? (laughs) (laughs) So and of course, you know, we're talking about mobsters. So you've got the Italians and then you've got the Russians and the Russians decide I'm going to make an appearance. So it's these three guys that are there. It's Ivan Chekhov, who's like a soldier for the Russian crime syndicate and two of his like, you know, goons pretty much. And they come in and they're like, we want you to shut down the bar. And uh, that's when we sort of get, you know, Doc starts making the remarks, confusing the common sayings. And the other guys are like, "Uh, no. And so they get into a bit of a scuffle. My favorite line is is in this scene. Um, You know, this is eventually... Uh, we'll get to the flashback portion of it, mm-hmm. but the uh, the part that, that I love so much and my favorite line in the whole movie is, it's St. Patty's Day, everybody's Irish tonight. It really is a very iconic line and it, like, it makes it feel so much more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And like, even, you know, as a viewer, if, if you're not Irish, everybody's Irish now because it's St. Patrick's Day. We just Mm -hmm. want to love everyone and have a good time. Everyone just grab a Guinness. Yeah, let's party. Yeah. Yeah. 
which I love that mentality. It's like, yes, that's how it should be. It shouldn't matter, you know, your background or where you've, what job you just finished working, whatever. Like you should be able to go and everyone just have fun together. And I mean, this fight, so these, these Russians did not want to be Irish that night. Nope. <laughs> They wanted to shut it down. And like with the flashback scene that we do see, we'll be talking about Detective Paul Smecker here in a minute. But what we learn is that they get into a fight. And my favorite part about the fight is when they light the guy's butt on fire. Yes. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like, why? Yeah. But just to like show that like you don't mess with our place. It's really like a territory thing. Yeah. It's like, you guys are ruining our good time. We're going to show you what we're going to ruin <laughs> to you. <laughs> By all means necessary, you will get the message. Yes. <laughs> and that's where sort of, you know, our detective, Paul Smecker, who I mentioned, he's playing by the great Willem Dafoe. We had done in season one, James and I, Spider-Man, from mm. when Tobey Maguire was first starting out his installments. And... Willem Dafoe was playing the Green Goblin. And I always loved him in that role. But after going back and watching that and then watching this, I'm like, I think this may be one of my favorite actors of like all time. Yeah, he's he's really fantastic. And in this role, he's amazing as well. He just really embodies it. Mm -hmm. And the way he tells, you know, what he's seeing and the way he analyzes, it's so fascinating. You just kind of want a series, like a TV series, like yeah. a true detective, where it's just him, you know? Oh my God, we're going to pitch it, because that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be so good. Yeah, He's just this this sassy, really intelligent guy. And the, the sass is like to a number 11 with him most of yeah. the time. There's this one part. So he, he ends up being gay and he's like laying in bed with a guy he hooked up with and he gets a phone call and the guy's like trying to cuddle with him. And he smacks him in the back of the head. Like, what? Yes. Oh my God. That <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Yeah. And it's just funny because he goes, what are you doing? And he's yeah. like, I want to cuddle. And he's like, no <laughs> and the guy's like oh, you know just very yeah. uh, taken back he also sort of puts a target on this detective greenley guy who mm -hmm. he oh man he's like that guy in class that thinks he knows everything and he just won't shut up about it yeah definitely and so like greenley's giving his counts of what he thinks may have happened in the circumstance and then pretty much smecker's like no that's <laughs> not it that's not how it happened now go get me a bagel or coffee or whatever and you know so it's just like there's there's so much sass and I love a good sassy character and yeah. with that too so he's sitting there just describing the scene and um you know he sends the one guy to go get coffee which have you ever heard of a cafe latte with a twist of lemon before so it's funny you mentioned that like i've not heard that specific one but lemon in coffee is actually very good um you don't want to go hmm. too heavy-handed with it but he says uh like a twist of lemon and that's yeah. probably what i would say too um just like a little dash is really good if you mm -hmm. want to get really crazy you can have a, a nice coffee or uh i should say a cold brew and it's like a half and half mm -hmm. uh it, it kind of tastes like a um an arnold palmer if you do uh you know half what? lemonade and half cold brew that is insane i've never heard of that oh my god yeah. <laughs> is that something you've ever like ordered before or just heard about 
it's uh, it's not something I've ever like ordered out before. There was only one time where I was at a bar, or I was actually it's a bar restaurant, and it's in Lexington. It's the Bluegrass Hospitality, like I don't even know what the name Group. is. Yeah, but it's the if you're looking at like Tate's Creek, that mm-hmm. one. It's the one to the left of Malone's. But they had, uh, like, seasonal drinks and um, OBC. Sorry. Okay. OB- OBC oh, you're Kitchen. good. Okay, so yeah. you'd gone to OBC Kitchen. And... I had gone to OBC Kitchen, yeah, and I had ordered a seasonal drink that they had on the menu, and it was a alcoholic beverage, which had coffee and lemon in it, and huh. it was it was really good. Uh, it was very strong, but it was very delightful. So yeah, if you're ever like, if you're ever making a cup of coffee and you're just like, Hey, let me try this out. You can put it in a cup of coffee as well. You know, I drink my coffee black, so Mm. it's, it's actually like not too crazy to just do like a little splash of lemon juice in there. Huh? Okay. Yeah. I mean, wow. I I don't drink coffee super often. I, I go in like waves with it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, like typically I'll do something like a, a cafe latte with maybe like some caramel or if it's like a mocha or something like that. Cause I also don't super like the taste of coffee either. Like it's just <laughs> a little bitter for me. So I got to dress it up and eventually we'll probably get diabetes from it, but it is what it is. So just don't drink it too often, but um, yeah. So just like when he is like, go get me a coffee. And then all of a sudden he just is orchestrating and walking through the scene and there's um an aria which is played by uh by smecker when he puts in his headphones and it's called me ka miano mimi and that's very just sort of popular um italian type of uh you know opera-esque song and just really i think sets the tone very well mm-hmm. for that like you said, just very much so he orchestrates it. He's going through, he's looking at things. And then he picks things up that none of these other guys are picking up. He mentions, like, if you move the body, you'll find two uh, shell casings mm-hmm. underneath the body. Um, he goes over to the wall where the shot was. And he, and he says, you know, get ballistics on this. We'll find, you know, the right caliber for this weapon. You know, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. He, and then what I think is the be- one of the best parts of the movie is the way he explains it and then it appears and so it's his perspective and that's that's important to note it's his perspective of what he believes is happening Mm -hmm. now we as the viewers we believe him and so Mm -hmm. we are seeing it so we are believing it but later on we find out that it's actually all of his perspective so when you're watching this for you know the second time you know that this is only his eyes mm-hmm. you know this is his mind that he's portraying this so is it really what happened probably it could be very close but mm-hmm. he could be missing you know those finite details yes oh yeah definitely and he didn't really know was it's about 
the toilet. (laughs) So they find these Russian guys in the alleyway. They're investigating that. They're trying to figure out what happened there. And then they go back to the precinct and they're talking about what may or may not have happened. And Greenlee, of course, he's like, well, this is what I think has happened. And he's like, oh, their guys are still not here. You know, ends up being that the, the brothers turn themselves in. And then he's like, I'll take a bagel with (laughs) an onion bagel with some cream cheese and makes Greenlee go get the bagel for him. And, you know, they, they pretty much lay out the scene and they start talking about, so the, the Russian guys, like they make Connor handcuff himself to the bottom of a toilet and take Murphy out. And they're like, we're going to kill your brother and take him out back, get ready to kill him. And well, Connor's not about that. So you know, he lifts that toilet up and what does he do, Dylan? <laughs> it's absolutely gruesome. He lifts up the whole toilet while he still has the handcuffs on. His wrists start to bleed. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. And then he takes it up to the roof and then he drops it. And not only does he drop it, he also jumps. Yeah, what is he, Spider-Man? It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I mean, he like lands on the guy um, who's sort of like helping the main mobster Chekhov guy um, that's like the head of that little group. But I'm like, that would not have broken the fall that well. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, I definitely don't believe that would happen either. Yeah. He would have definitely broken a leg. You know? Yes. Yeah, he would have been hobbling away. It would not have been just him sort of looking a little dazed, but it, the timing was impeccable on his part. I mean, you know, literally the finger is on the trigger and yeah. Murphy's about to eat it and then boom, toilet hits him right in the back of the head. That'd be a terrible way to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I can't really think of anything that much worse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's quick. Right. You know, there's that going for it. That's true. Yeah, there's not really much after that. It's just, you know, you get hit in the head, you're done. I mean, so yeah, just going by toilet, though, not my preference. But um, we hear him lay that out, and then they don't even get like charged. Yes. So, so yeah, they eventually turn themselves in, and, you know, they acted in self defense, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't know the laws of, you know, for that state and self-defense laws because you know they're different but you know they're in boston and massachusetts so i guess they're just free to walk away which they opt to stay the night though you know yeah, the they, press is out there <laughs> yeah yeah so and then that's where they sort of have their come to to god jesus take the wheel moment yeah they have a little premonition where they're like maybe we should do this we kind of did something good we mm-hmm. took out bad guys. Maybe we're suited to do this. Mm-hmm. And this is where their their skill set sort of comes into play. Because, I mean, there's a part where uh, Will and Defoe's character, Smecker, he's like, this is amateurs. You know, this is something you'd see on TV when yeah. they go into their next scene. <laughs> there's a couple of details, too, that are, uh, I think, important. When mm-hmm. Smecker is, you know, interviewing and interrogating, you know, I guess that's up to debate because they're not really, like, suspects anymore. Yeah. He's asking them, how do you guys know the languages? And we get the reveal that they can speak all these different languages. Yeah. And they talk about how their mother was insistent that they learn languages as a kid. And that mm-hmm. gives them a little more depth as characters 
we see they're not as dumb as their appearance, you know, mm -hmm. gives off, you know, their job. And he even says, why are you guys just working in a meatpacking plant? You guys can speak all these languages. You know, you guys are actually useful, like, mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah, and then he, like, says that, and they go, we just paid attention in school. Like, <laughs> yeah. just did. They have sort of, like, this, like, stoner burnout vibe to them. But they, do, they yeah. are definitely not, like, yeah, mm -hmm. they drink a lot, you know, but they're Irish. So it's, like, it's, yeah. you know, it's meeting mm -hmm. that stereotype, if you would. But, yeah, yeah, we learn they're, they're much smarter. And while they have not, like, done this before, I feel like they're fairly effective. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah. they go in, one of the perfect examples for that is, so they've made this decision, we're going to go do this thing, and they're gearing up, and so they're looking through all these weapons that, I, I know I'm not even sure where the connection is coming in with this guy and this armory. Yeah, that's one of the plot holes in the movie is like, all of a sudden they just go to a random guy who also happens to be Irish, you mm -hmm. know, that sort of thing. And he gives them the contraband that they receive from the from the Russians in trade for a la carte weapons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, and, you know, there's a couple of funny, funny moments in here with the rope and, you know, mm -hmm. the stupid fucking rope. Yeah. And the, the part that always gets me is uh, when he's looking at the knife and he's like, he calls him Rambo. You know, so that, yeah. that always gets me. Yeah, that that made me laugh because I had forgotten about that. And then I was like, oh my God, that's that's really great. We have them gearing up to go and take out the Russians at this point. Mm -hmm. And this scene is definitely iconic as well. If you see guys hanging from ropes from a ceiling shooting at people, you know it's from the boondock scenes. Yeah. There's no way around it. And that's exactly what happens. They end up trying to go up into an air vent and they start <laughs> that made me laugh so hard do they start to scuffle with each other yeah because they're still Just, brothers you know brothers yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's brothers yeah. and so they start fighting and taking back and forth of it and then they realize uh oh uh we're about to fall so they fall through the ceiling right into like I, i'm assuming it's a penthouse type of situation yeah i think so too kind of thing and so they like drop down right where they need to be and the rope has them like just tied up together and yeah. they're now spinning around you know and that's when it goes to slow motion which i think that was like the perfect timing mm -hmm. to really throw that effect in there. definitely and yeah they get tangled up their their feet are still in the rope and they're you know perfectly going and shooting each of the different people all sitting in a circle and mm -hmm. I've, if I remember co correctly, the vent actually hits the guy who's in the center, mm -hmm. and, you know, who's giving the speech, the the Russian guy, um, and yeah, it's just it's just fantastic, and and then you know they come down and then they they take a look at all the all the money, and mm -hmm. you know they they leave the pennies on the eyes and you know all that. One of my favorite parts too, another funny part is when. Uh, they go over to the pile of cash that's sitting over at that like bar area, mm -hmm. and he's like, "The hits keep on coming," and he smacks his brother with yeah. the little uh, wad of cash. Yeah. I I always laugh at that too. It's always really funny. Yeah, that that is funny. Now speaking also something funny, some of the outfits that these guys were wearing with this. Oh, it's. <laughs> I, I feel like they definitely wanted to play into all the, like, stereotypes, you know, yes. the Italians and stuff and, you know, how they look and then the Russians and mm -hmm. how they look. And so I feel like they definitely played that up a bit. 
Oh yeah, I've never seen so many bright colors and patterns in yeah. <laughs> a mob group before. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, we, we can't move past the scene without talking about that for a second. But yeah. and also another fun thing that happens during the scene is Rocco is actually sent by his boss, Papa, yes. to take these guys out. And so there's a knock at the door. He's dressed up as like Jafar, who's yeah. like a bell man. <laughs> yep. And they were like, we have to, we have to fuck with them. So they put their ski mm-hmm. back on and they um, bring them back in and they're like, you know, they're, they're messing with him and they're like, how are you going to do this with only a six shooter? You mm-hmm. know, there was 10 guys, six shooter, obviously do the math. Yes. And so they learned that he was sent to his death. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like that very much. No, not very happy. As anyone would understandably be, you know? It's not someone's yeah. not gonna be like, oh, my boss sent me to die. Okay, it's fine. I'm going back yeah. to work. No, it's time for some revenge. And that's what he does. He goes into like this little coffee shop, which I'm assuming is maybe like a main hangout or a front for the Italians. And goes in there and just, like, kills a couple of guys. Yes. He definitely goes a little crazy in the moment. And mm-hmm. he does it without the the brothers, you know, and their yeah. consent for that. And they're they're not happy with him because he really, he, me- he messed it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's very much so driven by emotion, we learn with. It's that heat of the motion just takes over kind of thing. And so they sort of keep him more grounded, I feel like, yeah. when it comes to that. Um, yeah. But, you know, he wanted revenge. And, and I, I, once again, I can't blame him, you know? So yeah. he takes out a couple guys. And the way he works, he's like, I'm the funny man. Ha, 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 And he's just like, mm-hmm. they're just shooting the guy over and over and over. Yeah. One thing I want to highlight in that scene specifically is the music in the background. So mm-hmm. I'm not really familiar with the, like the song or whatever, but I think it plays into the scene itself and mm-hmm. the buildup of the song builds up to the point where once his gl- gun starts to click and he's out of bullets, the the music picks up and it, it's mm-hmm. loud with his voice while he's yelling. And I think that's like a really powerful scene. You know, we, we talk about the, the silliness of maybe the, the Russian mobsters, but I think this part with the music, it really sets, you know, just sets a beautiful scene. I can't even really even put a better way than that. Oh, yeah. I think that's a really, really good observation. Troy, who did this movie, this was one of his first projects he worked on. Mm-hmm. And the fact that as a new filmmaker, he thought about that was very good instinct and i appreciate that a lot so yeah because it's like most of the time you know with with movies you'll think more so visually and how people can play around with things there but when you bring the audio in it just really it helps enhance like that scene in particular very well yeah definitely yeah so he like goes back and he tells them what he did and they're like oh my god this guy and they get pissed they get upset understandably so once again and but then they're like, you know what? Let's go ahead and let's do this. And let's yeah, evangelize these together. He pitches it to them like, I know the people. You guys have the talent. We mm-hmm. can do this together. Yes. And so they get out the um, figurative black book in essence and go through and just yeah. start crossing people out. And one of the ones is uh, the sin bin becomes sort of a, a big scene, which Ron Jeremy is in this. I'm- <laughs> 
I was like, oh god, I forgot about that. He plays it definitely, um, Nintendo. Uh, it, it makes you a little uncomfortable, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, because yeah, it's like I can never not see him as like just this cheesy kind yeah. of slimy guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Real like strong used car salesman feel, you know? Oh yeah. Ooh. Oh yeah. So it's just like I saw him and I was like, oh. Um, yeah so he plays Vincenzo who's like one of Papa's guys and he goes into what I call the jack-off booth because I don't know what those little rooms were called I I think that's the best name for it yeah really yeah so he goes in there and like they slip their money in and they do their thing and then like usually they leave well it didn't happen this time because the boys go in there and uh you know shoot up the joint yeah (laughs) now the way that Rocco was shooting was probably one of the funniest things. <laughs> it, it's it's really it's it's hilarious and it's even funnier because <laughs> the way Willem Dafoe's character mm-hmm. Smecker is telling this, you know, in his in his perspective, he's like good shooting, shitty shooting, and then yeah. it goes to <laughs> and then it switches. They're letting him have his moment. Hey, mm-hmm. you got this for us. L- let him shine a little, you know. And so then he's like acting it out and stuff mm-hmm. and just i mean it's nice that they're like letting him have his moment you know exactly but at the same time guys like, <laughs> yeah. i feel like this leaves a lot more margin for error but we learn eventually it doesn't really matter you know because of what comes to fruition i guess it's up to our interpretation as viewers but to me i always took it as they're letting him have fun with it they're Mm -hmm. you know they're letting him have his moment but they're also being smart about it because if they have other people in with them and Mm -hmm. they're not as skilled or Rocco is not as skilled as a shooter as they are then it's throwing off the trail maybe you know they're they're a little bit safer so that's kind of how I always interpret it they're you know it's it's two things in there. You know, they're mm-hmm. letting them have fun, but they're also covering their tracks. That's a really good point. Yeah, because then they may think it's a different group of people even who mm-hmm. are involved. And yeah, because they the one guy does, I don't know if it was Greenlee or another guy, but one of them was like, oh, there was also a shooting that was over at this like diner or whatever. And he's like, yeah. you didn't think this was the same thing? Exactly, yeah. So that sort of helps them like, piece it together a little bit more but if like it wasn't actually smecker who was working on it i don't mm-hmm. think they would have ever been connected exactly yeah so and 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 smecker even says like you know i'm paraphrasing because he used some um, not nice language yeah. but you know if there are italians dying you know any russians dying i need to know about it because mm-hmm. they have to be connected yeah exactly and that's where really like we're just getting out pretty much the body count at this point we're we're mm-hmm. you know seeing the the rap sheet building up right now and that's where they decide their next move is gonna be so i'm not sure what this guy's like the character's name was i call yeah. him the cleaner or the hitman that's a good name oh thank you yeah, yeah. so like he sort of has this like really kind of like old like fbi agent-esque look to him with like a long trench coat and stuff yeah he he reminds me of and i'm not 
sure how versed you are in video games, but there's a there's a video game and they made a movie about this uh, with Timothy Oliphant, mm. but it's called Hitman. Oh and yeah. The the character is Agent Forty Three. And mm-hmm. he he's uh you know he's bald he wears a suit you know he you know, he's very clean he's very methodical and so that's kind of like I always think of like Agent Forty Three he's the hitman you know yeah. for for this and he's the guy and they show that scene you know Rocco's telling him and you know this is a little tangent in itself but mm-hmm. Rocco's giving his perspective of this scene and I think that's another fascinating part of this movie is the the take on perspectives like you know. Smecker and his perspectives, mm-hmm. but we see Rocco's perspective and this cleaner or hitman, mm-hmm. as we would say, he's ripping up the carpet, he's burning everything, like he's so methodical. It's very mm-hmm. fascinating, and you're like, God, I hope these people aren't real. You know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> it's like it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's that's. Oh, I do like the different perspectives because I feel like it it changes up the feeling a little bit. It gives it does, us a little yeah. more, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it adds, it adds a little extra depth. I would say, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. And so this guy, this Mister Clean Hitman guy, he's ruthless. He goes and kills a whole family. Like a lot of times, there's some kind of code where maybe yeah. they won't kill women and kids. Oh yep. no, it didn't matter. It didn't matter with this one. Yep. And Rocco was like his getaway driver guy mm-hmm. and so he learned about what happened. I think he was actually even brought into the house and like was seeing all that occur yeah with all the body count and i mean i i would not be very happy about it either if i saw all that yeah. um so he decides he wants to take this guy out and they find out exactly where to go to get him and they go in and it looks like it's a group of guys just playing cards and he's in the bathroom and so of course he like starts hearing the the chaos happening outside the bathroom <laughs> it's it's funny because He's even methodical in that aspect too. Yes. So when, you know, the shit hits the fan for this guy, mm-hmm. he he get he gets up and he like puts the towel neatly, you know. And what's fascinating to me is he takes the like towel holder off yes. the thing and it like goes into the character and what we know he's like methodical. He thinks this out. He's thinking of his surroundings and what he has to use. And he ends up using that as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy. It's, it's yeah, very foreign identity, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, but the, like you said, the way he just folds the towel up and just sort of yes. puts it down, I'm like, Ooh, it's, that's just like, there's, there's like nothing, nothing, no emotion there. It's just like, yeah. oh, we're turning on the fact that we're getting ready to kill people now. Let's go, you know. Um, but yeah, they they end up giving Rocco his moment to really like take revenge on this guy too. Mm-hmm. And like, just go ahead and let him do it. Just let him do it. And so he ends up getting like a cue ball from this pool table and just smashes it into his head. Yeah. Until he's done out. You know. I don't remember if it was Connor or Murphy, but they roll it over to him to give mm-hmm. it because he's struggling to fight yeah. this guy. So then they give him a slight upper hand. Yeah, yeah. And and then he uses that hand to smack the guy in the head several times. And yeah, mm-hmm. but then like something that I feel like was sort of that seal of approval from Connor, because you can tell Murphy and Rocco are a bit closer in the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. And not that like Connor and Rocco aren't, but just Murphy and Rocco are closer. And yeah. so all of a sudden you see the seal of approval from Connor when he goes over, he puts his hand over Rocco's mouth and then kisses the back of his hand. Yep. And, you know, they just sort of do a ha kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, like you know, they, they go to head out. But this is also where, you know, eventually they're going to run into a big problem. Yep. And now is the character, I, I've been calling him Deuce because I honestly don't know what his El name Duce. is. El Duce. El Duce, okay. Yeah. So he was in jail and mm-hmm. he was like a hired hitman assassin guy for, believe it was the Italians at one yeah. point. So I think to clarify is he's just like a, you know, man for hire. You know, he, mm-hmm. when you needed something done, you know, it, it you call him El Duce, which is the Duke, mm-hmm. you know, if you didn't know that. So they just go to this guy and they even say in this scene, too, when, you know, they're they're cutting back to the bathroom scene with, uh, I guess it's the butler mm-hmm. of the Italian uh, mom. And he's saying, you know, this is the guy we would call in whenever whenever anything needed to be done. He just had a strict rule no kids or no women which mm-hmm. is funny because you were just saying this you know mr clean guy the you know the terminator basically yeah you know he he didn't care mm-hmm. but this guy you know as brutal as he was they even gave him a nickname because he was that brutal he mm-hmm. still lived by a code and it's exactly. just, it's it's fascinating and it's it's really cool they were introducing these characters and, you know, I wish we had more time with some of these mm-hmm. these characters because of, of the lore they built up around them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, having a little more time with El Duce would have been nicer because yes. we do see a little like peek into his life in prison, but more so it's just his release and then him going. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but we do get to see him in action a couple of times, this first time being outside his house. And he has, okay. Just lay out for us what happens here with the guns. Okay. So he has the the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, he has a vest and it holds uh, you know, six total, you mm-hmm. know, in on his chest. And when he's done, he just drops and he just pulls the next ones out. And so he doesn't have to worry about reloading or anything. And it's just he's just crazy and he's moving and he's just shooting. And it, it it's fascinating because we, this is where we learn that Smecker's only using his interpretation. This is where mm-hmm. we truly find out that he is not 100% accurate. This is yes. his perspective, and this is what he is uh, thinking is happening here. He thinks it's six people. You know, he thinks it's mm-hmm. six guys, you know, one gun each. And then uh, Greenlee is like, what if it's just one guy? Yeah. And, and he... he he messes with them and it's hilarious. It's, it's such a good scene. It's such a, like a, a built up of these characters and it's all coming to a, a nice boiling point, you know, mm-hmm. a nice climax at this scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love that he, like he's in the middle of the street and he's just like, you know, arms up flailing. He's shooting the gun in the air as he's like talking (laughs) about what happened. But then we find out it's one dude, six guns, and he ends up shooting all three of our guys. Poor 
Rocco loses a finger. And we do see another part where we learn about how smart the brothers are. They're mm-hmm. spraying the pneumonia on yes. the on the blood, and you know they're like, "Find your finger," and he's like, "I can't find it," you know, because <laughs> they don't want to leave any trace. They're the ones, you know. They're the ones doing all these things. They know what to do, you know, how to handle the situation, and they don't want to leave any trace. And they've been very good so far until mm-hmm. this moment. Yeah, the, where the one chick is, like, trying to get the blood sample. He's like, we have so much of it. And she's like, I can't get a good read on it. So he smells yeah. it, and he makes her try and smell it. He's like, it's pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but then, so he's, like, having a, a tantrum, you know, in essence. And he's just like, oh, my God, I just want to find these guys. And he, like, goes down into the bushes, and then, boom, bingy, sitting right there on the ground. Yep. And he just very quietly picks it up, wraps it up, puts it in his pocket, and just walks away. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... It's funny because the other detectives in that scene, they're like, that was weird. His whole demeanor just changed. Yeah, exactly. But they don't ask. They're just like, uh, okay, I, I guess. They're just like, this is just par for the course with, with Smecker. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, he goes back and he like looks further into it and he's able to find out that it is in fact like... You know, there's a there's a connection because he remembers seeing Rocco bring Rocco. the boys clothes yes. when they were in being held. So he ends up going to I think it was like a gay bar and he goes yeah. to get a drink and that's where more sass just comes out. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is yeah. hilarious. And, but he gets hammered and then he's like he stumbling does. around on the sidewalk. And where does he go, Dylan? He goes to a church. Yep for confession time and uh it ends up being the same church that uh, our brothers are in yep and Rocco follows him in because Rocco is out walking in the street right Mm -hmm. and he sees Smecker and follows Smecker in and it just happens to be where Connor and Murphy are and so Smecker goes into the confessional um and then uh, Rocco follows him and then <laughs> and then Rocco is then followed by Connor yes and so yeah. m- m- meanwhile the priest is in the middle of all of it he's in the yeah. middle of section and so you have Smecker who's like I actually sort of agree with what these guys are doing and I don't see yeah. it as actually being wrong and should I help them or not and you know he's just like barely conscious I feel like <laughs> He's so drunk. He's barely holding on. Yeah. And I, I can understand why, like, he probably decided to go get hammered. It's because he's now dealing with this inner conflict of, I don't actually see what the harm in this is. Yeah. He, they're taking, like, valuable, you know, cases off of his plate really Mm -hmm. like they're they're making his job easier and he's he's conflicted with it these are terrible people these are murderers these are people who you know do all all sorts of bad things and Mm -hmm. they're saving the day but are they doing it in a reasonable way no not you know not really and Mm -hmm. that's the that's the moral conundrum that is you know that is placed Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they're just trying to take the trash out, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and that's what everyone wants is a cleaner city. But yeah, you just, you can't like light all the trash on fire and expect the city not to burn a little bit, you know? So yeah, the the priest is in the middle and he's like being held with the gun 
facing him with Rocco. Yeah. And he's and just he's like <laughs> not in the church. Just yeah. not in the church. He repeats that over and over again. Yeah. Exactly. And he's just like, I don't agree with any of this, but he also like has to stay silent because Rocco has the gun on him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just just that moment in itself is just even funny too. I mean, this this whole movie is laced with hilarity. Yeah, and that's kind of a uh, a point that I I want to ask you about. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. This is up to you if you, we want to bring this up now or you know at the end when we get the whole movie done. But the level of like seriousness and silliness in the movie, mm-hmm. um, yeah. whether it wants to be, I, I think that's maybe the biggest fault of the movie is it. It's not all serious. It's mm-hmm. not all silly. I feel like if maybe it picked a picked one lane it would maybe be a better movie. Like if it was only seriousness, you know, full drama, then, yeah. you know, I think it would be more widely recognized, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but, but it is what it is. And I love it for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would agree with that because if you, if I were going to, let's say I'm sitting at a fork in the road and I have to decide, okay, are we going more humorous or are we going more, you know, serious? I'm going to pick the more serious one because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's this whole movie's premise. It's about killing people. Like, yeah. you know, so there are movies that do take a more, um, you know, just like funny tone, but I mean, with these characters, I feel like it's more okay than maybe in other movies if there were to be a movie that did something very similar because you get that feeling from the brothers. They're fun and lighthearted and, you know, sort of a, not in a care in the world kind of island living almost, you know? Yeah, it's it's kind of like Deadpool in a way where yeah. the Deadpool, I would say, is like a comedy, right? Mm-hmm. But it has the the action and a little bit a little bit of the seriousness in there. Where this movie, like you know, obviously, uh, you know, decades before, you know, mm-hmm. years and years before, but it kind of has that same like feel, but it just doesn't like nail that tone correctly like yeah. Deadpool does. Yeah, I feel like if maybe they went more toward a the departed direction. Yes. Yeah. That probably yeah, I, like I, I, ooh, it would have hit it out of the park, I think. Yeah, um, I, I think you know, some of the scenes that, you know, don't really hit for me or, you know, parts of scenes that don't for don't hit for me are when they're in the sin bin and they're they're cleaning up, right? Mm-hmm. And Rocco goes and grabs oh, the God, woman. Yeah. And and that and he's like all tipper. Like that that doesn't hit for me. It, yeah. It's not funny. I never found it funny. You mm-hmm. know, it's not, it's not correct. And yeah. I, you know, if, if they took those parts out of it and let it be more serious where they just go in, they kill the people and walk mm-hmm. out and then have Smecker come in, you mm-hmm. know, and do his part. I feel like it would have, we'd see this movie receive more accolades. Yes. Yes. Which I mean, no matter what this movie was going to be in in a way having sort of a big component put up against it because this was released around the time that the Columbine shooting had happened. And so they automatically had a very limited release. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, what they possibly could have done was pulled it and then waited for a couple months and re-released it. But I don't know how common that was in 1999. Yeah. You know, so they were sort of at disadvantage. That was the word I was looking for. They were sort of at this disadvantage immediately when they went to release because of the violence that's happening in this movie. 
So, um, which I mean, overall, like I said, it, it becomes a cult classic, but it just took quite a few years, I think, for it to really pick up that steam. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, that part that you're mentioning where he goes and he grabs, you know, the woman's breast, I, I'm just like, she's unconscious. Like, yeah. you're so gross. Don't like, I know it's yeah. just there sitting there and you might be like, oh, well, it's just waiting. But no, like, don't yeah. love someone. Come on. So yeah, it's, that landed flat for me too. <laughs> And I, I feel like it doesn't really fit the character as well either because mm-hmm. of the opposition. They're going to kill the the bad guy, the guy who yeah. would do that. So mm-hmm. if it was if it was turned and it was Ron Jeremy's character who did that, maybe it would be different and the tone would fit a little more. But because yeah. it's Rocco and he's the good guy in the situation and they're making him the bad guy, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really sit well with me. Yeah, which one thing we didn't really talk about, and since we're still talking about Rocco, I thought it would be a good like time to sort of loop back here. The cat. Oh my god. The cat. So when they're talking about like doing this whole vigilante thing, he has a gun laying on the table. <laughs> and then he, when he slams his fist out of the table, there's this cat that's been sitting there the whole time. And the gun shoots the cat. The cat like blows up in us. <laughs> it's it's really graphic. It's yeah. it's it's so absurd. The wall is just splattered, yeah. and they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that happened!" Like mm-hmm. it's, he's like, yeah. "You think he's alive? <laughs> no, he's not alive. <laughs> he's not in one piece anymore." like oh my god but yeah i I just had to bring that up because i thought about it a minute ago and i'm like well we're talking about rocco and sort of like the things that aren't as savory uh yeah you know favorable that he does (laughs) he killed the cat by accident um that was completely accidental but he's like oh look the gun is still loaded and it's like yeah (laughs) or cat had to find out so um which which Rocco also just staying on with him because he's also a really great uh segue for sort of our really like last big scene that we have mm-hmm. they decide we're gonna go take out Papa Dylan just let, lay that out for us as to what happens it's hard to say because like I, I'm I'm remembering it in different ways right and I, I don't remember which you know which comes first but mm-hmm. Uh, we have Detective uh, Smecker. He is dressed in drag mm-hmm. and he infiltrates the area and he's trying to essentially help out the brothers and yes. Rocco, right? But I don't remember exactly how the brothers get captured. Uh, okay, I I... so I remember that actually. Okay. So, yeah, initially, like, Smecker ends up finding out from the, I think it was like the butler guy uh, about, um, you know, the fact that they were going to have like all their guns ready to go kind of thing. And so he's like, I need to go help them. So the brothers are trying to sneak in, I think through the basement or like through the side of the house and they end up getting Mm -hmm. caught. So they're brought down into the basement, tied up and then things start happening. They just don't show the part where they're getting caught. That's why it's like fuzzy in my mind. So, so yeah, the, the brothers are caught and you know, they're like what you know what should we do with them they're going crazy down there and you know the the papa he comes down and he shoots rocco mm-hmm. which the brothers lose it at that point. yes you know 
it, it's almost as if one of them died and mm-hmm. you know, they watched their brother die. It's like yeah. a major loss to them. Yeah, because initially he just starts off with another finger and he just yes. shoots off one other finger and we're like, okay, maybe he's done. Okay, mm-hmm. so he's took another finger, like that he just caused a lot of pain. Okay, maybe. No, he's not done yet. That's when he comes back and yep. he shoots him in the chest. Yeah, and that's, they they lose it. They're like, you know, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to, like, they're trying, they're like rabid dogs trying to get off a chain to get to this guy at this yeah. point. Yeah, and, and what happens, like, you know, it goes back and forth. Like I said, it cuts between Smecker and it goes back to them. And mm-hmm. they're, <clears throat> they're on the ground now and they're, you know, they're upset. They're crying because of what happened to Rocco. And then we see the part where they're kicking the the handcuffs off of each other mm. and it, that looks oh. so painful yeah. trying to get off the oh my god and yes Ugh. yeah i grimaced the whole time i was just like i'm gonna be sick i'm yes. gonna be sick <laughs> watching this i had to stop eating my dinner because <laughs> i was watching it last night during dinner um yeah i just i can't i can deal with blood but i cannot deal with like muscle ripping and bones mm-hmm. breaking i just no i can i can deal with like everything else but that so in ugh. in this scene uh, you know i i wanted to bring this up is uh you know smack uh, smacker is dressed in drag and yes. he, he makes his way into the the building you know mm-hmm. he walks up to the guy you know he seduces him and yeah. it's 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 a funny scene you know it doesn't really like play well today i i don't know for sure you know if if this is one of the faults you know that we would we would not see today or anything Mm -hmm. but but i want to pose this question to you because for me like i don't think it's attractive i don't know how this works and like how this guy fell for this woman you know do you have a take on that so yeah i thought about it too because actually i thought that willem defoe made a prettier woman than i thought he was going to um (laughs) (laughs) like the wig was on point but um yeah i mean it's very obvious to us this is a man in drag yes but also the guy mentioned he hadn't been laid in a week so he's like i just need to get in at this point (laughs) and so and the guy's like what are you doing he's like i haven't been laid in a week and he's like okay make it fast you've got like five minutes and so (laughs) you know the fact that like i was wondering how far it would have gotten if the wig didn't come off yeah because he's like oh come here big boy come here you know and like trying to get him to come down on the ground and i'm like Okay, but then, you know, finally when he realizes, oh, you're a man wearing a wig, and that's when he's like, oh, so he kicks him in the groin a couple times, and, <laughs> you know, finally, like, does, does he shoot him as well? I think he shoots he does. him as well, yeah. And this part's weird because I always note his lip movement in it when he shoots him, and mm-hmm. the the slow-mo happens, and his lips, like bellow it's it's really weird and like i can't help but notice it and i feel like it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just like a weird weird character decision and you know it just you know kind of plays into willem defoe's acting and whatnot and i don't know if you've ever heard the the weird owl song but he's uh he sings about spider-man and it's like a it's the um piano man Mm -hmm. like uh and he says Willem Dafoe is scarier without the mask talking about the Green Goblin. And I can't help but notice that, like, in this movie, you know, in Boondock mm-hmm. Saints, when he's he's dressed in dragons, like, this this person is uglier than with a mask on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
like I said, he made a prettier woman than I thought he was going to. But yeah, just <laughs> honey, don't just don't. I mean, I don't think Willem Dafoe does that on uh, the weekend. <laughs> but uh, maybe go with a different color scheme. I don't think yeah. you're a summer. I think you're maybe more of an autumn. So maybe yeah. try that out <laughs> instead. But um, you know, like I, I think he like the voice sounds okay, but like there's certain just. I mean, and his body actually even doesn't come off bad. It's just, it's his face that really gives him away from Yeah, <laughs> And it's just like, it's just a funny aside, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's just like, how desperate is that guy? You know, and yeah. I think it's more of a commentary on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But just the, the way he did do like, like when, he, when I said he was, you know, um, being like, oh, come here, big boy. Like that was so funny to me because of the way he was saying it and I'm like he's so into this right now which I mean you know he does play a homosexual man so for Mm -hmm. him he's like oh like you know oh I have to kiss this guy whatever he's not as opposed to maybe uh someone Mm -hmm. else who is is not in favor of kissing another Mm -hmm. man you know um but yeah I just I, I feel like he's a very open character and more so than we ever get to know so I really would love to see like you were saying like a tv series with Smecker yeah oh, that would be so interesting man. yeah yeah so I did find I did find this as well because he's wearing heels during this last scene right yeah yeah and apparently uh to appear taller on screen Willem Dafoe wore platform shoes during filming. You can kind of see that. And I think um, in the first scene where he shows up when he comes out of the car, you can kind of tell he is definitely the shortest person on that set, you Mm -hmm. know, and you can kind of feel like, yeah, he, he probably had some inserts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like more noticeable um, during like that first appearance. And when he like crouches down near the body in the alleyway, that's mm-hmm. when it's sort of a little more obvious but like the rest of the time outside of that i think it was like covered fairly well you know yeah. i didn't feel like that was something that was super obvious outside of that but mm-hmm. i was like oh well the heels like honestly i didn't notice much of a difference so maybe the heels were the light that he was using yeah one thing that I noticed in a couple scenes too is that the angle that they shoot from kind of makes it seem like he's not as short. Um, mm-hmm. But in in that first scene that we both mentioned, it it's not shot the same, so yeah. it do, it does appear. So like, you know, they do this all the time in movies, and most noticeably in the Batman uh, movies uh, with uh, the one with Tom Hardy where he plays Bane, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the Dark Knight Returns. Tom Hardy is a pretty short man, but everything that uh, Bane is seen in is shot at an upward angle, ah. so it, it makes him appear larger than he actually is. So mm-hmm. there are there are a couple instances of this movie where it's not necessarily at an upward angle; it's just shot at a lower, you know, yeah, you know, lo- lower uh, position. So yeah, maybe with like a little more of a tilt, but not super yeah. you know super mm. obvious it's a very subtle one yeah, yeah. It, it just it's it's like interesting just to learn those little things because i don't know how tall willem dafoe is but i mean i didn't think he was that short of a person now i have to find out because i'm <laughs> curious as to like his height um so he's five nine so he's not that short he's shorter than me so i'll give him that <laughs> okay <gosh. laughs> 
when it comes down to it, though, there's a very interesting situation that occurs in this last scene that I did not remember and I did not see coming the first time. And so <laughs> El Duce, he yes. comes in because he arrives on the scene and he's like, all right, I'm going to like take these two dudes out. Well, he walks in and they're mourning over Rocco's body mm-hmm. and they start saying the shepherd's prayer mm-hmm. and that's when he like stops and he no longer is going to kill them anymore and why did this mean so much Dylan? so this is a family prayer and this means that he is their father mm-hmm. and we get hints of you know some like foreshadowing earlier in the movie Rocco's like hey you guys got to teach me that prayer yeah you know, that you guys do and they're like it's a it's a family thing our mother told us about it you know mm-hmm. so the only other person that would know about it would be their father they mm-hmm. you know so they learn that this is their father and he's there with them and mm-hmm. it's just really cool and you know definitely a huge plot twist that i didn't see coming yeah because i think they they may have said that their their mom had told them about it but it was something that their father and then their father's father had said mm-hmm. and so that's where it came down the line but the father El Duce had been in jail for like 30 years, 20, 30 years. So they were, I mean, I'm assuming in this movie, they were probably like early to mid thirties, maybe Mm -hmm. late twenties at the youngest. Um, So I feel like he probably was in jail a good majority of their lives. So that's why he didn't know them, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I would say the same thing. They're, they they look young, and I mean, Norman Reedus also doesn't look like he aged a bit. Yeah, no, he right. <laughs> um, so it, it is hard to say like how old they are, but I would put them probably late late twenties, early thirties, mm-hmm. and then that would line up with the timeline that we are told. Yeah. So I I just I like like you said, it was a plot twist. I totally had forgotten that was the case, and. Through this comes this partnership of like this father and sons team up to wipe the scourge of the earth out of Boston, but not just Boston. They're going to go to New York City and they're going to mm-hmm. go and pretty much take this on the road as a family gig. Go global. You know? Yes, exactly. And so you know, the, the last part that we see is where they end up in the courthouse and they go to get revenge for Rocco and kill Mm -hmm. Papa and so they sort of make their announcement there of well this is who we are this is what we're doing and we're choosing you to introduce us to the world because there's you know there's this big mob guy who's on trial so you have a bunch of people there and they take this perfect opportunity not only to execute him and get their revenge but also to introduce themselves to the world yeah it's it's a really interesting scene they show it as you know this head of this italian mob you know this mafia and he's not phased that he's on trial right he's mm-hmm. he he's invincible that's the image he's portraying you know whatever i'm like i'm having fun out here that i'm on trial you know screw it whatever and yeah. they they break that door they prove that he's not invincible and mm-hmm. i feel like they didn't care that they did it in public or anything they're getting their name out but they're also showing that 
no one is invincible. No one is above God. No one is above, you know, this law that they're, you know, putting forth. Yeah. Now the part was as, as the credits are rolling, people are giving their takes on oh how they God. feel. <laughs> I love that part. Like this is a great addition to the movie mm-hmm. and it makes it feel real. Yes. You know, it, it adds an extra depth in there. And I think this kind of goes back to our conversation about the seriousness of this film. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they took out those silly portions, they could let this part be the silly, yeah. the silliness. But it also adds a little spice in there as well, where mm-hmm. people are like, "Yeah, like let them do it." You know, the cops aren't doing their job. Like let the let the saints go. You know, yeah. You know, the the kids are going to grow up and they're going to have Batman, Superman, and the and the saints. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Now, like, if you were one of these people, let's say this was a serious situation that was actually happening, and you're being interviewed by the news, like, are you going to be for or against the saints being these vigilantes? I have to, I have to be for them because you know, uh, I'm not a huge proponent of the American justice system, mm. and you know, the mm-hmm. way it is, and you know, people get off pretty easily and stuff like that, you know. White yeah. collar crimes, you know, get overlooked and, you know, mm-hmm. people roam free while as in, you know, petty crimes, uh, people who, you know, aren't doing, you know, the real crimes are spending more time in jail than the people who deserve to be in jail. So I would have to side with the saints. I, w- I really would. Yeah. And I mean, also just sort of playing off of what you said and piggybacking for a second. I mean, really, you know, they are going after people of power you know like you're Mm -hmm. saying a lot of times the people who did not commit the harshest crimes are being treated the harshest whereas they're like oh no 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 so you all Mm -hmm. the source of this problem and we're now going to eliminate that yeah so i i think i would be for it as well i mean the the one chick does make a good point though because there's like these two girls talking and she's like i think i'd be for it and she's like no what if your mom ended up being one of those people (laughs) (laughs) and so i was like i see both sides but yeah i mean like obviously if you're not doing something that's really like disturbing and troublesome and a big crime like these you know criminals these mobsters i don't think they're coming after you like yeah you know they seem to have a pretty big code that they go by yeah so this movie overall it there's a a few pieces of production info i want to share and um you know just just some cool little pieces here so Let's talk about how much money this movie had cost and how much this movie made in the box office. So did you look at those amounts at all or? I didn't look at them like recently, but I have Mm -hmm. looked them up before. So I know ballparks. Okay. So budget, do you remember about how much that was? I'm going to guess 17. Oh, you actually went high than I like higher than I thought you were going to go. Six wow. million for the budget. Okay, I was I was a little off. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, but I think what about seventeen million? So <laughs> <laughs> now the box office. This was, I mean, it's a dismal amount. I'm going to give you that. Yeah. Too. Uh, do you remember about how much that was? It, it probably like only a, a mil, like less than that. 
Definitely less. Um, once again, I think they would have preferred your number because this yeah. was so limited with the release due to the Columbine shooting. It only made thirty thousand plus dollars. Oh my god! Yeah, thirty thousand four hundred seventy-one. A flop. Yes, I mean, yeah, like it did not really gain its popularity until after it was on TV and it had yep. been out on DVD and stuff. So. Though, I mean, this doesn't really help Troy Duffy much no, because no, no. he, so, you know, he, he wrote the screenplay, um, you know, he's a composer, writer, and director, and he didn't receive any royalties from this movie due to the structure of the contract he signed with the distribution company. That's upsetting because it's a major DVD movie. And so all the ro- royalties just not there. Mm-hmm. So according to Duffy, neither he, his producers, nor his principal cast got paid. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. He sued Franchise Pictures and other undisclosed companies for royalties of this movie and the rights for the sequels. After a very lengthy lawsuit, Duffy and his producers and the, the cast received an undisclosed amount of royalties as well as the sequel rights. So they waited for a while before mm-hmm. they actually got their dues. Um, now, some other stuff about, you know, Duffy. Where did he get his inspiration from when it comes down to actually writing the screenplay? Because I believe this was one of the first ones that he wrote. And he was inspired by just the disgust that he had for just seeing how like drug dealers were taking money from people and like we're even going and taking them off of like dead bodies from uh, like the, mm-hmm. across the hallway in an apartment that was across from him and so you know he was working as like a bartender bouncer kind of guy and you know here, here we go he had never written a script before and here he was he wrote a screenplay based off of just his distaste for what he was seeing around him that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that's, it's very fascinating. Um, Mark Wahlberg was someone that they were looking to possibly have as one of the brothers, but wow. he turned it down so he could be the star in Boogie Nights. I was going to say, yeah, he turned it down for Dirk Diggler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, just imagine him with an Irish accent. <laughs> like, oh my God, I don't yeah. see that happening. I think it would be just as good, if not worse, than what Norman did. Um, which I think Norman and, um, you know, Sean Patrick Flannery, his, they, they do, there's a relationship. You can tell they have sort of like this closeness with each other. And, uh, yeah, you know, so I think that those are the right guys for it. I think, uh, you know, if I were to go back and add someone in there, maybe I don't know who I would take out, you know, if mm-hmm. I would take out Norman Reedus or Sean Patrick Flannery, but Colin Farrell would have been really good. Um, yeah. He is Irish, you know, mm-hmm. he's from there. So he would have been a very good actor for the for the role, but he was probably too big at the time, you know, too mm-hmm. big of a star at the time. Yeah. I often wonder... I wasn't very cognizant at the time. I was only like a couple of years old yeah. <laughs> in, in 1999. So I, I don't mm-hmm. even know how big Willem Dafoe was of an actor yeah. to, even, to even take this role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was about 10 when this movie came out. So I definitely didn't see it when initially it came out. Uh, so, <laughs> so I wasn't like super aware of it either. But just sort of going back and looking through 
his um, IMDb. I mean, really, like 1999, he had done a few things. He did like Mississippi Burning, Born on the Fourth of July, mm-hmm. Cry Baby. Um, you know, so he did quite like he did a few projects, but they just weren't huge yet. And um, so I think like right after this, that's when he went and did Spider-Man in 2002. Yeah. And I think that's really where he got like his big catapult. His breakout. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't, I think like for all of them, they probably just thought this was going to be a fun project and that's why they mm-hmm. jumped on board, you know? Um, but yeah, so the, this is on the little, uh, little fun here. The word fuck and its derivatives <laughs> are used a total of 246 times in this movie oh my god that's <laughs> insane yeah so i didn't go through and count that thank you imdb for that information um but yeah just that's insane the church where the brothers attended mass it's called Church of the Covenant, and it's not actually a Catholic church. It's a Lutheran one because the Catholic churches in the area were like, no thank you to them filming in their sanctuaries because of the actual like plot and objective of this movie. It was too violent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I can't blame them for that at all. I mean, <laughs> you know. And uh, lastly, Willem Dafoe, he told Troy Duffy, since he was a first-time director and writer, he had ever worked with he ends up sort of talking about him like it was like a kid in a sandbox kind of situation where just everything was exciting and you know coming up with the ideas and with the characters were just really really you know eye-opening and invigorating so I thought that was cool that Willem Dafoe was like yeah you know we we both you know obviously Willem Dafoe had been in things but it wasn't big 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 stuff yeah um you know or at least his role wasn't so he sort of was still on that climbing the ladder status and then troy coming in is brand new this really let them have this nice like you know companionship when it came down yeah yeah that you can you know just from that you know it shows their excitement for film and just in Mm -hmm. general and their passion and that's really interesting and I just, I love that that sort of stuff. I love those little anecdotes, you know, that we hear like, oh yeah, the guy was really fun on on set, and you mm-hmm. can tell he really cared about his project. You know, those things make me happy. Me too. Yeah, because it's like unfortunately more times than than not we'll hear the negative over the positive, just because that's something that's a bit more exciting, you know. And mm-hmm. so whenever you do hear, oh, this actor was a really cool guy, or this or that, it's it's a really nice thing to hear. Now, how is this movie received? I mean, we've talked a little bit about it. I mean, the box office kind of gives it away. It's not really received well, but Mm -hmm. it is considered a cult classic. It's a DVD film, for sure. This is a movie that you you heard from a friend, and your Mm -hmm. friend gave you the DVD to borrow, and you watched it, then you went and bought the DVD for yourself. exactly now looking online so obviously they didn't win any awards you know it just it didn't happen like they the movie almost was not picked up you know like when they went through after shooting the movie um they went to like the 1999 uh cans film festival in hopes of like finding a distributor and everyone that was like a major u.s studio was like no it's not Mm -hmm. happening 
So like eventually they were like picked up by a smaller company for that limited, you know, theatrical release to five theaters in the U.S. for a period of seven days. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you look though, besides for that factor, the reception actually isn't that bad. When you look at Rotten Tomatoes, they by far have the worst one. So we're going to start with them and we'll move our way up. So Rotten Tomatoes, 28%. Not great. Sounds about right. What's the you, audience score? Now, so IMDb is 7.7 out of 10, and then Google users have 89%. There we go. So that's where your cult classic <laughs> yeah. takes into play there. And, you know, like I said, while it didn't have any awards, well, guess what? We're going to give it its first one with our yeah. Oscar Mayer winner award. All right, so this is the part of the show, Dylan, where you can give your award to anything or anyone in the movie, anything from the cinematography to an extra just doing their thing fantastically in the background. So who or what is your award going to? It has to be Willem Dafoe. It, it really has to be. He gives give the movie the shine that it deserves. He is... He's the star. You know, we, we talked about Rocco, he being, you know, a big bright spot of this movie. But mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe, he sets it up for us. He gives us this unique flavor. It's the movie is set one way and then he comes in and he completely throws that for a loop. And it's awesome. He tells these unique stories that are these scenes and mm-hmm. they're all from his mind his recreations it's it's very fascinating how he does this and i just love the character so much he needs his own series as we said many times throughout Mm -hmm. this episode he's just he's fantastic i I just can't think of another person who would do that role better you know we we were talking about you know colin farrell would would have been a good brother Mm -hmm. in there no one could have taken willem dafoe's role away from him yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I'm so glad that you chose him because I've already chosen him for Spider-Man. And I was like, I'm going to try not to choose him again. But I want to really bad. So I'm so happy that you chose him because he just, like you said, you cannot replace him with someone else. He is irreplaceable he is just so talented and makes this his own and you can tell he just wears the skin of the character like a glove it just fits yeah. him perfectly it does so i'm so glad that you chose him because <laughs> <So>, mine <laughs> i went with the sillier route i decided to actually go for norman reedus's accent variation just, <laughs> it's just so bad it's good like you just sort of like whenever you hear him like switch in and out of it it just makes me laugh and I'm like, Oh, there it is. <laughs> so, yep. so uh, Norman Reedus, your, your accent or lack thereof gets my award. <laughs> Definitely. Well, let's go ahead now and go into our sweet endings. So this is a section of the podcast where we start to simmer down, digest all that we've just talked about in the episode. And as we get ready to close out of this installment, we round it out with our favorite quote. So I believe you've already said it, but if you wouldn't yep. mind saying it again. St. Patrick's Day, everybody's Irish tonight. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, this this movie just has so many good quotes going through and looking at it really none of them sort of stuck with me as much as this one did which is we're like a 7-eleven we're not always doing business but we're always open yep 
that one's one that I remember since the first time that I watched it. I continue to remember and has always stuck with me. And especially because I did grow up where there was 7-Elevens. So I was like, <laughs> oh, a little childhood connection there. You know? yeah. <laughs> so this uh, definitely has been a, a great episode. I loved getting to go back and watch this movie again. So for anyone who's listening, you haven't seen it in a while, I, I suggest just go ahead. You know, if I was a doctor, I'd prescribe you a viewing of the Boondock Saints. <laughs> so thanks so much, Dylan, for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a good time. You're welcome. And also thank you for joining us listeners. And if you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you don't, don't worry about it. Also, if you would like to check us out on social media or get in touch, this is how you can do so. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at FRM Podcast and email us at frmfan at gmail.com.